uh, as morning dawns, and after that you head to junior church. So thanks very much. Well, I want to thank Philip for his welcome and for his invitation to be here today to share with you. I was struck listening to your announcements at what a generous congregation you are, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, and to thank you. I know already a number of you have been uh, praying for us, and uh, we, I'll say more about that later, but we depend on that more than we can say, and we Thank you so much for that. I want to thank you also for your generous support as a church to the uh, Central Ministry Fund and to the United Appeal, uh, uh, along with uh, a, a number of donations from individuals and congregations. This is what keeps us uh, financially supported in the work that we're doing. In addition, the CMI has uh, allowed us a grant to appoint a community outreach worker and we are supported in that as well. Tony, who's with us here today. 
We wouldn't be doing what we're doing without you, and it's, it reflects the strength that we draw on as Presbyterians together. So thank you for your generosity. Let me say, I love what I'm doing. I absolutely love what I'm doing. You, it's, it's been the best year of my life so far to do the stuff that we're doing. And we're, what we're doing and where we're doing it is a reminder of how remarkable and exciting it is to follow God. If you'd have told me 24 months ago, two years ago, I'd be doing what I'm doing, and I said, you're nuts. That couldn't happen. That's impossible. But is anything impossible with God? Who knows where God will lead us in the adventures that he might guide us on? Just a year ago, Elaine and I, uh, we began working in West Belfast. Tony joined us last month, uh, and she has a particular focus on working with newcomers and refugees, many who live in West Belfast, something both she and Elaine have been involved in for some time. And then uh, we have this fellow called Thompson that joined us. I'm sure you know who that is. Uh, and the, for the four of us now form the core group, we might say this little mustard seed that God is planting in that soil, and we are praying for God to give it growth. So we're here today. Please take the opportunity to have a chance to chat with us, uh, and uh, I'll be at the door and then out the back. I think the guys will probably be out the back um, and uh, find out a little bit more about what we are doing. Uh, before talking about the work, I want us to think about the passage we read earlier, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Uh, it was very important to me personally as it relates uh, to the work, but also my sense of call into this role. If you're looking at the passage there, you'll see that Matthew is telling us about Jesus' ministry, traveling through the towns and villages of Galilee, announcing uh, the kingdom of God in word and in deed, verse 35. But then note four simple things. You might say to yourself, that fella, he did, he, you know, that anybody could preach that sermon. It's so simple. Well, it has to be simple for me to understand that there's only four things I want us to see from this passage. The first one in verse 36 is Jesus saw. Jesus looked out. He looked upon the world in which he was working. He saw crowds of people who came to him, and, and he knew them. They were harassed and helpless. Jesus is still looking out into our world. He's still seeing the people all around us, people that we might miss, but he doesn't miss. And he knows them. And he knows that they too are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he knows us. He knows us intimately and completely, which is at one point both enormously encouraging. When no one else understands me, Jesus does. But also very challenging because he understands everything about me and you can't bluff him. Jesus looks up and he sees and he knows. But then there's another thing. Notice that Jesus felt, also in verse 36, he had compassion on them. Because it's one thing to see and to know, it's another thing to be moved by it. You know how it is when we're watching the news at the minute? We're seeing and knowing all sorts of things, whether it be Ukraine or, or the Gaza Strip. But it's possible to see all that and not be moved by it. So much of this kind of thing that we are almost blasé to it, hardened against it. 
Not so with Jesus. He feels compassion. He looks at the crowds, harassed and helpless, and he says, well, not my problem. He is moved with compassion. He's not indifferent to their situation, not unmoved by their plight. His heart goes out to them. He felt for them as they were, spiritually like sheep without a shepherd. And that image is so familiar to us if we're familiar with the Bible at all. The image of a shepherd and a sheep used to describe the relationship between God and his people over and over again. What must be the, the best known psalm, Psalm 23, has that at his heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I, I'm, I'm out in the country here. Anywhere outside Belfast is the country, forgive me. So I'm out here, and I don't know if any of you are sheep farmers. Maybe you'll tell me about this afterwards, and, and I might have got this whole thing wrong. But imagine what it's like to be a sheep without a shepherd. Particularly in that uh, part of the world at that time, exposed to the dangers of wild animals. Remember, David said that he had, he had wrestled with a bear and a lion, protecting his sheep. Sheep prone to be scattered, make a loud noise, and they go in every direction. And uncared for if injured. If they fell in a shuck, no way of getting out. I don't know if they had shucks in those days. They probably did, but they maybe didn't call them shucks. That's the spiritual condition of the crowds. Indeed, it's the spiritual condition of all human beings. Every single one of us. If Jesus is not yet our shepherd, how important it is that we have a shepherd who will care for us, watch over us, keep us so that we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We don't only have a shepherd who, who knows us and understands us and who feels for us, but we have a shepherd who acts for us. We read in John 10, he's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The compassion of Jesus led him to action, giving his life that we might live through his death and resurrection. How does Jesus feel about the crowds around us? He feels compassion, such compassion that he gave his life for them and for us. I don't, you're here today, I don't know what you think about Jesus. A lot of people have very strange ideas about Jesus, strange ideas about the gospel. They picture Jesus like this or picture Jesus like that. Well, when we look at the Bible, what do we see of him? We see someone who sees and knows and feels and acts, not under any compulsion. We don't make him do this. He does it himself because of his love for us. And if we see who Jesus is as regards the Bible, we will see why the message of the gospel is good news. He reaches out to us and draws us to himself. That's the great part of the great news of the gospel, and it's good news for you. And if he's not yet your shepherd, he invites you to come. He calls you to come that you might be his. So Jesus saw, Jesus felt, then Jesus spoke, or he declared in verse 37. His disciples are round about him. And seeing and feeling as he did, Jesus declared something to his followers about those that he saw. What are you seeing? 
Some people might have written off the crowds because of their condition. Now they're just, they're hopeless. Lost and harassed, well, there's not a lot we can do about it. But instead, Jesus looked at the crowds and said, what a great opportunity. Look at these crowds. They're coming to hear this good news. Coming towards what God is saying to them in the message of the kingdom. And I don't see, I don't see barren fields. I see a great harvest. Again, I don't know uh, what, you, what you grow here or what you do here, but imagine that you're a farmer and you have a bumper crop. I don't know whether it's potatoes or wheat or barley or whatever it is, a bumper crop waiting to be harvested in the fields only to discover you can't get anybody to help you. You go looking and here, there, and everywhere, and there's nobody to do it. What would the farmer feel? Great distress. Oh, I've got this great crop, but no one to gather it. Jesus looks out on the crowds. He says there's a plentiful harvest. But the laborers are so few. His declaration was a challenge to his disciples. Lads, get up and at it. And to us the same. Jesus saw. Jesus felt. Jesus declared. And the fourth thing he commanded, verse 38, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Ask or pray the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers or laborers into his harvest field. Jesus wants them and us, as we read this passage today, to be about the work of gathering in a harvest of souls among the harassed and helpless crowds of his days and ours. Now imagine that we had seen and felt and were acting on all of those things, and we'd heard what Jesus has said, what would be our reaction to help meet that need? Well, for some people, when you know there's a need, you rush around like a headless chicken trying to do it all yourself. You wear yourself out, you get no work. As good Presbyterians, I know what we would do. We'd form a committee, and we'd talk about it for really quite a long time. And we'd come to a conclusion that maybe we shouldn't do anything about it at all, or maybe we'll give it to somebody else to do. Now we can poke a bit of fun at ourselves for that. We're not always like that, but you know our tendency. The approach of Jesus is very different. He says, pray. Get praying. Matthew Henry says, when God is determined to set his work in action, he sets people praying. The crowds are too great in number. The issues they face are too complex, too deep to be able to solve for ourselves. And the need that the people have is not for us anyway. It is for the saving grace and mercy of God. I say to people, when you think about work in the areas that we're working in, we don't need a savior. There already is one. What we need is some servants who will serve the savior the very first thing we need to do is to pray. For God, who is the Lord of the harvest, is inviting us into his work, into his harvest field, and we simply pray, Lord, send us those who will work alongside us in this work of the gospel. Now, why am I telling you that passage? I'm, I'm going through that passage because it relates to the work 
that we're called to do, but also my own sense of call. I'll come to that at the end, but, but the work that I've been called to do and, and that we have been called to begin. Imagine that Jesus was looking out over the area that we call West Belfast. In my head, that's everywhere between the motorway and the mountain, as far as you can go on the glider, or as far as you can go on the glider that speaks Irish. I'll talk about that later on. What does he see? Surely, he wouldn't miss the fact that in that area, there are many, many, many people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Or to change the, that analogy, or use the second analogy in, his, uh, in, in this word, many who belong to the harvest that he wants to gather. The parliamentary constituency of West Belfast has a population of over 95,000, or it was at the last time I looked at the statistics. And by all measures of health, education, and employment, its outcomes are some of the lowest in Northern Ireland. How would Jesus feel about that? How would he feel about that? Surely he would have compassion on the many thousands harassed and helpless, a compassion that leads him to act. Now, amongst those needy crowds, that 95,000 people, for at least the last 30 years and probably longer, the Presbyterian churches had almost no presence in the area at all, except on the very periphery. But for all that time, 30, 40, 50 years, there have been people who've been praying that the day would come when the opportunity would arise to show the love and compassion of Christ in the area, which for entirely understandable historical reasons, we have neglected for too long. So when Jesus sees that area, knows that area, feels this about the area, what would he declare and command in response? Well, I believe part of the answer to that is the creation of this post and the establishment of this little core team. In 1971, the congregation of Albert Street closed, the congregation of Philip's parents, and they amalgamated with Argyle Place to form West Kirk on the Shankill Road. As 2021 approached, the people there, having prayed for so long, began to pray with renewed passion and interest that for the 50th anniversary, perhaps they could go back over the wall in some way. But then lockdown happened with all the upheaval it brought. So here are this group of people praying. They've been praying for 50 years. They're praying with greater intensity coming up to 2021. On the other side of the city, Elaine and I, we used to be in East Belfast. We had begun to pray for this area of the city as well. And that somehow God would do something where but as I said before, it seemed impossible. How on earth would you do that? I remember visiting the uh, chairman of one of the GAA clubs um, in West Belfast. And he told me the second time I, meet, I met him, he had gone home to his wife. And his wife had said, uh, who did you meet today? He said, I met this guy. He said, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to start a Presbyterian church in West Belfast. Something wrong with his head, he said. And I met him the next time and said, I'm no better still as bad as ever was, still hoping to do this. In his providence, God created a way. He created this post, and the role of that post 
is to present the gospel to the local community in word and action with the aim that as people encounter Jesus Christ, they will be drawn in faith and trust to Him as Savior and built up in discipleship. It's a four-year post. One year is gone already. It's intended that during that time, a living, worshiping, reformed community of Christians be established in that area. Well, there's four of us. Don't know if that counts as being established yet. And a new congregation might come from that, though perhaps not recognizable as a traditional Presbyterian congregation. That's what the role description says. I've been there just about a year, and what has struck me most forcibly is the warmth of the welcome we have received. Far from being suspicious and distant, as I thought they would be, in fact, hostile. Remember the first time I walked down the Falls Road, I thought I had prod written all over me, and I'd never get out. The only time I'd ever been there was to the falls, but you can kind of get in and out and you don't have to go anywhere else. They're terrified. But what we find instead is that people are delighted that we're there. And people have opened doors for us into this community, which I believe is an answer to the prayers of God's people. And our approach is a very simple one. It's to be open to speak with anyone who's willing to speak to us and it's been fascinating to meet people, primarily those engaged in community development, to see what has happened there. It is a remarkable, remarkable turnaround from a community that saw itself as victimized to now one that is full of confidence and energy and dynamism, whether that's in education, arts, media, culture, politics, sport, tourism, policing, justice, and a whole range of other people that I've been able to talk to over the last year. And the wonderful thing is they want us to be part of it. They want us to be part of it. They, they remember all sorts of things about us we have forgotten. They remember the 1798 rebellion. You boys were with us, that was good. Remember the 19th century survival of the Irish language? You boys did that, that's great. Now, how much do I know about those things? Or you know about those things? I don't know. But if it opens a door for me, I'm ready to go through it. Absolutely. And the respect for PCI is very, very noticeable, over and above any other uh, Protestant denomination. If you're familiar with the Balmoral Cemetery opposite the entrance to Musgrave Park Hospital, if you ever had to go and get your hips seen to or your, your knees seen to, maybe you've been there. Uh, some of you may have read a book about it by Tom Hartley, the former Sinn Féin Lord Mayor of Belfast. If you haven't got it, I urge you to get it and read it. It is a remarkable role of honor and appreciation for the role of the PCI in the development of Belfast. If Philip and I had written that, you'd say, oh, you're biased. You're just bumming and blowing about yourself. But no, he has written it, and it is a remarkable testament to PCI in Belfast. Well, when I started, I had this amount of understanding of what I was going to do, a blank piece of paper, and I was at an event that this guy, Tom Hartley, spoke at in West Belfast. And when he finished speaking, he said this, we need to get Presbyterians back on the Falls Road. Why? Because they're so much a part of us. And I was sitting there listening to this, and I said, did I just hear that? I couldn't believe it. This Sinn Féin guy just said, we, sh we should be back there because we're so much a part of them. And I said, Tom, we've got to talk. 
And God set before us an open door, I believe, and in the months since, beginning with him and networking from one to another, we've tried to get to know the community and discover ways of serving it. That little phrase, so much a part of us, became the name of an exhibition we staged in August in the Falls Road about the history of Albert Street Presbyterian Church, that church that closed in 1971. And over four days, we had an average attendance of almost 100 people every day from all parts of Belfast and beyond, but including a good representation from West Belfast itself. And the exhibition allowed us to say, we're back. Not quite, we haven't gone away, you know, but we're back. And we're here to love and serve this community once again. And we hope to be able to tour that exhibition around West Belfast, wherever anybody will take it, to remind them that we're not an alien species. We belong here. And we want to be part of their present and their future. So building on that exhibition, our small core team, Elaine, Tony, Andrew, and myself, we've begun a weekly Bible study in an office building on the corner of Broadway and the Falls Road. If you've ever been to the Royal, it's very near there just on the opposite, almost opposite St. Mary's College. Every Thursday night, we gather and we read the Scriptures together. Some of those who come are Irish speakers, so we read the Bible in Irish first. I'm not competent to give any comment on that whatsoever, so we read it in English after that. And we just go through the passage and we ask, what do you see there? What's God saying? And we've had, we've had a month of really great evenings. Please do pray for that as we ultimately hope it will establish a worshiping community in the area once again. I'm really grateful for the way many people have signed up to pray for this work. This prayer is vital. It's I know I don't need to tell people in the village of Connor how important the work of God in prayer is, but it's vital. And if you're interested in praying the Lord of the Harvest to help us about this, then after the service, please get one of our prayer cards. The team all has one. I have some more. If you'd like to join regularly in praying for us, if you take one of the smaller cards, it has my email address on it. I can sign you up for that. And we also have a number of copies of a book that was launched in West Belfast on the Presbyterian heritage there. There's a chapter by me, one by Tom Hartley, and one by uh, Jim Stothers, former uh, deputy clerk of the General Assembly. Those, by the way, County Antrim people, it's free. You can have that afterwards, no cost. But finally, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to respond to this passage personally as a congregation yourself where you are. We've thought about the West Belfast, but what about this part of the world? Can I suggest that the first thing you need to do is to look up? All of us need to look up and look out. The church that refuses to look up and out dies. That's the truth everywhere. Look up and look out. All the statistics discourage you. You get the blue book every year, and the, uh, it's like a ski slope. The, uh, all the statistical graphs, they're all heading for the ground. But I don't see the world through the eyes of the number crunchers. See them through the eyes of God. Jesus says there is a harvest. We say to ourselves, sure, nobody's interested in it anymore. Nobody wants to listen to this stuff. Did they not? That's not what we've found. And I'm sure it won't be what you find either. We're not looking at bare, empty fields. Jesus says there is a harvest, and it is plentiful. God is at work. 
See what he's doing here in this post, this impossible post. God's doing something. He can do something amongst you too, I'm sure. And if that is so, then what did Jesus say? Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. But can I tell you this? When you start to pray, be careful. Prayer's dangerous. It's very dangerous. In June 2021, I was at a gathering in the assembly hall in Belfast for ministers addressed by the then moderator, Dr. David Bruce. And he was speaking on this passage, Matthew 9. That's why I've chosen it today, because it fits not only with the work I'm doing, but the call into that work. He said two things that really struck me. The first was, when Jesus saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd, he said, when Jesus seeks lost sheep, he sends shepherds. And personally, as a minister, pastor is another word. That's a Greek word for, or not Greek, it's Latin, I think, for, for shepherd. That's what I'd been for 30 years. And the second thing was more specific and personal. As a result of Elaine's voluntary work with refugees in West Belfast, we had been praying about that area for a number of years. And in this passage, Jesus calls on his disciples to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And Dr. Bruce said, in relation to that, consider you might be the answer to your own prayers. Now, when he said that, an experience unlike anything I'd ever had before, it was as if I was being pushed into my seat. The only other experience I can have like that is when I was, uh, a friend let me drive his Audi, and when you put the foot down, it's like you're pushed into the seat. This overwhelming sense, God is saying, this is for you. So pray, but be careful. It might be that God calls you to join him in his harvest. Now, it mightn't be that he sends you to the ends of the earth or even West Belfast. It might be that he sends you across the street or up the road or to the next farm. It might be that he says to you, look, look at the crowds who live in this area. What do you see? What do you feel? What will you do? For whom will you pray? With whom will you show my compassion in the name of the gospel? With whom will you be involved in the harvest of souls in Connor and district? Be open to it. Because I can tell you there is nothing more exciting or worthwhile in the world than being part of this harvest that Jesus calls us to. Amen.